Hello, I'm Dwayne Peters with the Lupus Foundation of America, which is the founder and owner of the open access journal Lupus Science and Medicine that is produced by BMJ. On this podcast, we will be discussing the abstract, the influence of dietary resistant starch content on the gut microbiota of patients with systemic lupus erythematosus and antiphospholipid syndrome. Our guests are Dr. Arena Kuwik, hospitalist at Goshen Hospital in Goshen, Indiana, and adjunct clinical assistant professor at Indiana University School of Medicine, and Dr. Martin Kriegel, tenured professor at the University of Munster in Munster, Germany, and chief of rheumatology and clinical immunology at Munster University Hospital, and also adjunct associate professor of immunobiology and of medicine at the Yale School of Medicine. Dr. Kuwik. Let's begin our discussion by explaining just what are gut microbiota. Gut microbiota is a collection of all microorganisms, and that would include bacteria, viruses, fungi that inhibit in in the case of human gastrointestinal tract. What do we already know about the role of gut microbiota in inflammation? So there's been a lot of research and advancement into the field of microbiome in general and how gut microbiota, how it relates to inflammation in particular. There's been a lot of numerous studies that show that microbiota contain organisms that can have both pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory immune responses, depending on the bug itself, the microbe, the host, and the overall immunologic context. We do know that gut microbiota is essential and important in modulating gut permeability, intestinal barrier. It is essential in maintenance of GI tract mucosa, and in this way it provides natural defense against pathogenic species that may otherwise leak into the bloodstream and cause inflammation. We do know also that microbiota encodes a number of different genes. They produce active molecules and enzymes and metabolites that may exert pro-anti-inflammatory effects in human body. For instance, they produce short-chain fatty acids that are a product of fiber fermentation that can have important anti-inflammatory action that is shown in some studies. Dr. Kriegel, is this a relatively new area of research in lupus? I mean, it is a relatively new area. The last few years, there are several groups now working on the question of the role of the microbiota in animal models of lupus, as well as association studies in patients with lupus. But that microbes play some role in the pathogenesis of lupus has long been around. And quite a few years ago, there was an important study of a so-called germ-free lupus model published that did not show a major effect or a major role for the microbiota in lupus. And perhaps based on that study, people haven't pursued it in that particular disease, while the microbiome research and inflammation has been going on now for quite some time, given the importance of the microbes on the immune system. Okay, so just what is resistant starch? And what are some examples of these foods in our diet? So resistant starch is a carbohydrate, it's a starch that simply cannot be digested by enzymes such as amylases in human small intestine. So then it passes on to colon where it is further digested or fermented by our gut bacteria microbiota. There are different types of resistant starch and four, and this is categorized based on their resistance to digestive enzymes. For instance, type 1 is a type of starch that is found within fibrous cell walls and therefore resists fermentation. It can be found in things like legumes, so beans, lentils, grains, seeds. 
Type 2 is found in starchy foods such as raw potatoes or raw green bananas. So not something that we normally would consume, but can be supplemented. And type 3, it is formed when we cook certain starchy foods such as potatoes and rice, and then we cool them. And type 4 is mainly chemically made and produced starch. So typically the most common sources of resistant starch in our diets is things like potatoes, rice, lentils, beans, grains, seeds, things like that. What research has been done on resistant starch in relationship to lupus, and what benefits or effects have been revealed through this research? I know that Dr. Kriegel was involved in this research, and they published a research in cell host microbe that showed that in marine models of supplementation with resistant starch, specifically type 2, ameliorated SLE symptoms. In this research, they showed that starch supplementation actually influenced production of short-chain fatty acids. It also improved overall gut barrier and reduced gut permeability and inhibited growth of translocating lactobacillus species. In particular, this lactobacillus ruteri, they've shown that it was capable to drive lupus-related pathology in mice via a type 1 interferon pathway, that we know that this pathway does cause continuous activation of immune response in lupus patients. Dr. Kriegel, do you want to add anything to that? As Irina nicely summarized, the foundation of the human study we're mainly talking about today was our animal study at Yale that basically showed that the starch fiber diet is preventive in, in a severe lupus inflammatory model. I should perhaps mention that just this year, another group has published an interesting study that a low diet a fiber diet is linked to increased severity of lupus in another animal model. So in short, there are several animal models of lupus that support that high fiber may be good and low fiber may be worsening your disease. But the big question is if this translates to humans, which we attempted with this first retrospective study we're talking about today. What were the goals and aims of your study? What did you hope to learn? We were hoping to learn to understand how resistant starch content in, in the diets of lupus patients and APS patients, how can it influence or whether it does influence microbiome composition. That was the aim of the study. So how did you go about conducting the study? We collected stool samples and dietary information from 12 SLE subjects, 15 APS patients, as well as 20 control participants. It was done on three different visits, so on day week zero, four, and eight. Then microbiota composition content was defined by sequencing uh, 16-RNA, and we used uh, dietary recall information from these subjects to calculate resistant starch content. We used FDA data reference reference list and subsequently classified participants of the study into three groups. So a low um, resistance start dietary intake group, medium and high. We classified low as group of participants who had lower than 2.5 grams of resistance starch intake per day, medium from 2.5 to 15, and high is 15. Actually, nobody in our group did have a high resistance starch intake, which I think is hard to do when you consume a regular diet, but can probably be achieved through supplementation. What did you learn from your evaluation of the data? What were the findings? We did find that medium levels of dietary resistant starch was associated with 
increased growth and content of bifidobacterium in stool samples of participants in SLE group of bifidobacterium, which is a short-chain fatty acid-producing bacteria that is known to promote immune homeostasis. We also found that medium-resistant starch intake was associated with decreased cardiolipin-producing bacteria in patients with lupus-related APS syndrome. So we did find that the content of resistant starch in patients' diet influences gut microbiota depending on autoimmune disorder. You had mentioned that additional studies are needed. So if the findings are validated in future studies, how might these data help to improve the care and treatment of lupus? How could this information be applied? I know that Dr. Kriegel and his lab are working on possibly interventional studies and trials with high-resistance starch supplementation to see if possibly supplementation of high-resistance starch diet would correct the outgrowth of lactobacillus. Dr. Kriegel, your thoughts? The future goal is to translate this to an interventional study. I should mention, just to add to the design of the study, so the patient recruitment and the microbiome sequencing was previously done and published by Grilling et al. from our lab in Science Translation Medicine, where we looked at a very specific hypothesis. But what was important is that we collected the dietary history, and that's where ARENA was essential in um, separating the groups into different dietary uh, subsets. And the findings you just summarized suggest that it may be particularly useful in those patients with a very low amount of starch to, in the future, to uh, try to attempt to correct this fiber deficiency and perhaps have a positive impact on uh, disease activity or perhaps more on, on preventing full-blown lupus in the first place. But it, it requires uh, first a little more mechanistic insight in, in this association study. We've right now plan to first look also into the short-chain fatty acid production that you can measure in the stool and in the blood of the patients. And we were interested in the so-called interferon signature, if there's an association between that and particular microbes we identified in the mouse models. And if all these links continue to hold up, then indeed an interventional study, in my view, would be important. But a really a study in terms of personalized medicine that it will be first decided who benefits most from this potential intervention and then one would have to do a controlled study to see if the association we've seen in the retrospective analysis of the patient's diets um, would also hold up in an interventional study. What is the future for this line of research? Are there ongoing studies planned or underway? I, I just perhaps should mention that also the NIH has a strong interest in diet and health and they're conducting already in other diseases like metabolic disease, a highly controlled study where patients are entirely monitored for anything they eat and the output. Because one difficulty of diet studies is compliance and ensuring that, first of all, the dietary product is really fully eaten and, and also important to catch all of the other dietary components. So diet studies are inherently difficult, but I think there's a great potential in personalized medicine. And we learn more and more that the diets uh, of all kinds affect the microbiota and thereby health. What are the limitations of this data? What should people keep in mind as they're interpreting your findings? So the limitations are obvious for any um, retrospective study that we, we already collected this data and looked uh, in retrospect at the dietary content and the associations. Also, 
the microbiome is extremely influenced by external biases. So we couldn't control for everything, but uh, we know that, for instance, alcohol intake and other environmental factors, as well as the individual drugs the patients take, may all have some effect on the results. And we cannot fully exclude artifacts of some of the even statistically significant associations. But it's it's a pilot study that is still exciting to us to lead to further more controlled studies and personalized medicine approaches, we think. The other caveat is, of course, that it was not an intervention itself. And what we haven't discussed today yet is that in the mouse study uh, that we published on and was the foundation for this human association study, we found particular lactobacilli that were aggravating the so-called interferon, type 1 interferon signature I mentioned earlier. And they were not changed in the group of medium or low fiber. And we think that because in our cohort of patients that we followed at Yale, there were no patients with high fi- real high fiber diet. We think that uh, this is necessary, an actual intervention with a higher fiber diet than in the normal American uh, diet. And I think it's not a, a downside, it's an interesting finding and suggests that there's even more potential than what we found in terms of the beneficial effects on the microbiome if one actively provides more fiber than in the usual diet. Okay, final thoughts. Anything you'd like to add before we close? Well, we certainly would like to acknowledge Marcia Pereira, a postdoctoral fellow in my lab who worked closely with Irina on these analyses. As microbiome research is always multidisciplinary, we had Irina clearly being the expert in nutritional analysis and analyzing the diet and Marcia Pereira analyzing the microbiota component. And for such an involved study of microbiome sequencing and patient recruitments, there were many other colleagues involved that are on the abstract of this study that are <laughs> takes too long to acknowledge, but I think Marcia Pereira clearly should be acknowledged. And one last comment is perhaps, as Irina mentioned, uh, not only lupus, but antiphospholipid syndrome patients were part of our analyses. And I think this is very important because all uh, the lupus community knows um, all patients with antiphospholipid syndrome and lupus are difficult to treat patients. They have uh, clotting problems. And we are very excited that we also found in this subset of antiphospholipid syndrome patients, a potentially beneficial effect of reducing certain bacteria that could produce cardiolipins, which are a major target in this disease. And that's yet another avenue of research we want to go further and try to see if if this has also functional relevance on the disease, such as antiphospholipid antibodies. Well, congratulations on your study, and thank you for taking time to speak with us. Our guests have been Dr. Arena Kuik, hospitalist at Goshen Hospital in Goshen, Indiana, and adjunct clinical assistant professor at Indiana University School of Medicine and Dr. Martin Kriegel, tenured professor at the University of Munster in Munster, Germany, and chief of rheumatology and clinical immunology at Munster University Hospital, and also adjunct associate professor of immunobiology and of medicine at the Yale School of Medicine. They discussed the abstract, the influence of dietary resistant starch content on the gut microbiota of patients with systemic lupus erythematosus and antiphospholipid syndrome. The abstract is published in the open access journal, Lupus Science and Medicine, which is available for free online at lupus.bmj.com. For the Lupus Foundation of America and BMJ, I'm Dwayne Peters. Thank you for listening.